Good morning. So I got a question for you. What does it mean to be blessed? I want you to think about that. What does it mean to be blessed? When we talk about ourselves as blessed today in our regular life, we usually mean something that gives us an edge over something. You know, like we, he's got a big, he's been blessed with a large house. He's been, they, they've been blessed with a large family. Uh, he's been blessed with a lot of strength or ability or wealth or, or influence. We tend to use this word blessing, you know, hashtag blessed, when we're talking, yeah, when we're talking about things, circumstances that we have. I want you to think about that because Jesus flips the script on this idea of blessing. Today we're kicking off this brand new sermon series. We're going to be here for about six weeks. Um, We're going to be uh, spending time in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. This is an area of the Gospels that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Because this is a sermon that Jesus himself delivered to his people. So Jesus is teaching for these two two chapters, three three chapters, I can't count. So Jesus is teaching this. And we're going to break down over the next six weeks what exactly Jesus was talking about. So we're calling it Jesus said because this is really Jesus' words. This is what he wants his people to hear when he's got them all in one place. And he kicks off this Sermon on the Mount with this whole breakdown of who is blessed and why. And if we look at the reasoning, if we look at at what he is saying about blessing in these verses, it kind of tends to change our understanding of what blessing looks like. So here we are. We're going to go into Matthew 5. We're just going to jump right in. Matthew 5, starting in the first verse, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So he began the Sermon on the Mount. And then right there, you're going to have a headline in your Bible, most likely, that says, The Beatitudes. That's a word that doesn't exist anywhere in the English language, it seems like, unless it's this spot in the Bible. Beatitude is an old English word. It literally means the supreme blessing. So we're, the whole headline, the whole section of scripture right here is talking about the highest of blessing, the highest blessedness, the supreme blessedness, the things that, the biggest gifts that God gives. And it's not what you'd expect. So here we are, verse three. Right off the bat. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, another way to say this would be blessed are the powerless or the helpless, Okay? But blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. When was the last time you felt a deep sense of loss and you felt, yeah, man, I'm blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the innocent, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. We talked about this before. Blessed are those who bring shalom, who bring completeness, peace, reconciliation. For they will be called children of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those Blessed, blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So here's this list of supreme blessing, supreme gifts, and as people on earth, it don't look like what I would expect it to. Because this is what Jesus calls blessed. Helplessness. Powerlessness. Mourning. Mourning a deep loss is apparently a blessing. Humility. A desire, a deep desire, a hunger and a thirst for things to be right with God. Forgiving and mercy. Innocence. Bringing reconciliation. And finally, persecution is a blessing. These qualities are in stark contrast for what the world talks about. When was the last time we felt blessed because we're mourning? But this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that those of you who feel this loss, who feel this emptiness, who feel small, who feel helpless, you are the ones who are going to actually understand what I'm doing. If you are in a sense of deep loss right now, you're going to understand what it means to be complete more so than people who have not experienced loss. So he's saying, your loss, your helplessness in this moment is a blessing because you are going to see what I'm doing before anyone else does. You're going to understand the joy of forgiveness like no one else does. You're going to understand, if you're helpless, if you're truly feeling, if you understand your helplessness, he's like, you already got a leg up because let's be honest, we all helpless. <laughs> We can pretend that we have control over this world, but we don't. So those who already feel helpless, you're already there. <laughs> and now I can begin to work in your life. So he's saying at this moment that, that those of you who feel small, who feel down, who feel helpless, who feel beaten up, who feel stepped on, that's actually a blessing. Because you'll get to understand. You'll get to see what Jesus is doing. He doesn't mention power. He doesn't say blessed are the powerful. He doesn't say blessed are the wealthy. He doesn't say blessed are the strong and the capable, the hyper-intelligent, the well-connected. Blessed is the guy who has 8 million Facebook friends or Instagram followers. He doesn't say that. Are, these, are those things a blessing? Absolutely. But those are easy to see. They're the blessing that we can see now because that's what we have right now. We can see how we are set up for an easier life now. They're easy to see. The things that are not easy to see is how we're blessed in loss, how we're blessed in helplessness, how we're blessed when we lack. In other words, what Jesus is saying in this moment, in the Beatitudes, is that you, right now, are blessed. You are blessed in unique ways. You are blessed in ways that you don't understand. If you feel like this last year has knocked all the wind out of your sails and you're just trying to, to, to get up, if you are, are worried about your financial situation going into 21, you're blessed. 
It doesn't feel like it, but you are. Because you're going to see the joy of the Lord work. He's saying you are blessed. He wants you to, be under, he wants you to understand first and foremost before he goes into anything else that he's going to talk about in this entire sermon. The first thing he wants you to know, you are blessed in ways that are beyond understanding, in ways you might not even see. You are blessed. And then he goes on to what that means. In verse 13, he begins to open up, okay, so what? It's like, you are blessed, why? Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good, do- good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus is saying, you are blessed. All of these things that you think are, are, are negatives, they're not. You are actually a blessed people. But... I have a responsibility for you. You got to be salt and light. Now, why salt and light? Well, let's talk about salt for a second. Salt is actually a very precious commodity in the ancient world. In fact, it's where we get the word salary. Uh, The Roman soldiers were paid in salt. And that salt, that salt allowance was called a salary. Salt is very precious because it's used to preserve food. Um, It's relatively... Easy to preserve, preserve food. It's incredibly useful in the ancient world. Um, salt essentially allows people to survive through times that they couldn't normally survive. But if salt loses its salinity, if it loses its saltiness, it's a rock. It's sand. It does nothing. And what he's saying is your job is to be preservers of God's will on earth. You are to keep things the way they're supposed to be, to watch over creation. Your job is to be salty. You have my permission to be salty. (laughs) Your job is to overlook creation and to be the salt, the preservation, the thing that binds culture together and, and preserves it and keeps it holy. But if you lose that mission, if you lose your saltiness, you're just sand. You're just a rock. You're not doing anything. You're not fulfilling your mission. Likewise, light. The cool thing about light is we always think about light and darkness being these opposed powers. Light and darkness are not opposed powers. Darkness is merely the absence of light. You cannot open a dark room and the dark doesn't escape and rush out and overtake the light. No, the light overtakes the darkness. The darkest space can be lit up with just a single match. Light always overcomes darkness. Because of that, there's no need to protect light. Light, in order to do its good, you don't hide it under a basket, you don't, you don't hide it away, you raise it up. Like us, we have lights all over these, these ceilings. They're, they're there to light the space. Light, when it's in its most useful, is there for people to see. It guides, it opens, it it reveals. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. We 
have a responsibility to be the salt, the, pre- the, the preservation of God's will, as well as the light reflecting God's grace and forgiveness into the dark corners of this world. We have a responsibility to bless the world around us. In other words, we are blessed so that we can bless others. So, Jesus begins this whole sermon by saying, you are blessed. Even you who think you are powerless, even you who think you are worthless, even you who think you are small, who are at loss, who are lacking, you are in fact blessed and you're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven and you have amazing God, God-sized power behind you. You are blessed beyond comprehension, but you have a responsibility. You have to go into the world, you have to preserve God's will. You have to bring light into the dark corners. You have to change the world. You're not blessed merely for your own enjoyment. You're blessed as a responsibility, as an investment, so that you can bless others. We see this echoed elsewhere in Scripture. There's a, a spot where Jesus teaches later in the, in the um, book of Matthew where he talks about the parable of the talents. And it's this story about how a, uh, a master is about to leave town. And so he gives his three servants um, responsibility over portions of his wealth. He gives one servant five bags of gold. And he says, all right, you're responsible for, this five, for these five bags of gold. All right, take care of it. Gives the next servant two bags, same instructions. Gives another um, a servant one bag, same instructions. Then he books it. He heads out of town. During his absence, the servant with five bags of gold invests that money, um, works with that money, invests it into the land, invests it into the properties, and in fact, reaps a reward 100%. He pulls back 10 bags of gold. And so when the master comes back, he gives him 10 bags of gold. He's like, look, I doubled your money. The second servant does the same thing. He takes, that two bags, he takes those two bags of gold, invests it back into the properties, invests it back into the work that the master is doing. And the master comes back, gives the master four bags of gold. See, I doubled your money. The third servant, though, we're going to be in chapter 25, verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Here's your bag of gold. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I do not scatter seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would at least have it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him. And give it to the one who has ten. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they will have, even what they do have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside. Now, at first reading when I read that, like, oh dude, that's harsh. God is literally just telling us that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, but that's not actually what he's saying in this. What he's saying is that. I gave you these gifts, this money, not as a reward for your serving, but rather as an investment towards the future. It's your job then to invest that money, invest those gifts into the work that I've called you to. If you're not going to do that, 
then I'm going to invest those gifts somewhere else. I'm going to invest that somewhere else. We are blessed so that we bless others. It's a little like this image of a river. You know, we're right here on the Missouri River. Um, and so, actually, let's talk about the Missouri River. Uh, down south of here, about an hour by, by, uh, by Omaha, is the town of Carter Lake. Carter Lake is unique. They have this unique geography in the fact that they're the only part of Iowa that's on the west side of the Missouri River. So if you look at a map of Iowa, you have this border that's the Missouri River, and then you have this Carter Lake, this little like bubble, like pimple on Iowa that's on the other side of the river. And in fact, if you were to drive from Council Bluffs into, into Carter Lake, you have to drive into Omaha, so you have to drive from Council Bluffs, Iowa, into Nebraska, and then into Carter Lake. Makes it really confusing if you've ever flown into Epley Airfield in Omaha, because as you're leaving the airfield, you drive, and you see a sign that says, Welcome to Iowa. And then about a mile later, you see a sign that says, Welcome to Nebraska. And you're like, what? The reason that exists is because the river was the border of Iowa, and it went around Carter Lake. And then about 100 years ago, a little more than that, there was an ice dam that blocked the river. And the river pooled up and then eventually cut a new channel and completely circumvented the town of Carter Lake. And the leftover piece of water was this oxbow lake that we now call Carter Lake. And that's, how, that's why the town is on that side of the, the border. That's a lot like the way that blessing, the way that God's blessing works. If you look at a point on the river, the water flows in, but it doesn't stay there. It flows in and flows out further down the river. If I were to dam up the river and hoard the water as it's coming in so it stops, it stagnates, it pools, and eventually it builds up to the point where it cuts a new channel and eventually completely circumvents my dam leaving me with stagnant water. That is the way that God's blessing works. God's blessing is not merely a reward for us to enjoy. I mean, it, we do enjoy it, but it's an investment so that we can bless others. We are blessed to bless others. That's what Jesus is saying. He wants to make sure the first thing he says in this sermon, this great Sermon on the Mount, is that you are blessed. Even if you don't think you are, you are. And you have a responsibility to invest that blessing into the world around you. I had a pastor when I was younger who uh, told this story of um, uh, rescue stations. I'd never heard it from anywhere else. You, you may have, I'm not sure, and I'll probably get it wrong a little bit, but it has always stuck with me. And it illustrates this idea of blessing, I think, really well. So the way he told it is there was once this man who woke up on the shoreline shipwreck. He didn't have any memory of his life before the shipwreck. He just remembers the fear of almost dying as his ship is broken apart on the rocks. He wakes up, he coughs the seawater out, he looks up and down the coast, and it's just this rocky coast for as far as he could see. There's bits of boat everywhere, some sailors who weren't so lucky. And he, he's standing there, and he's like, I don't know what to do. And then sure enough, when he looks up north, there's another boat, and it's hitting the rocks right now, and there are people crying for help. So he rushes out there and he pulls, he was able to pull some sailors to shore, get them on dry land, and nurse them back to health. And then, not long after that, another boat, 
uh, crashes against the rocks south of there. And so him, along with some of the sailors that he had saved, rushes out and starts pulling sailors to shore and nursing them back to health. Before long, uh, this sailor decides to, uh, to build a hut right there on, on the cliff face overlooking the ocean, and he dedicates his life to pulling sailors out of these wrecks. And every day, him and some of the people that he saved walk the coastline, and they start pulling the sailors out of the water onto dry land, bringing them up to the hut, giving them a bed, nursing them back to health. Over time, more and more sailors get pulled out of the water. The hut expands, and it becomes a whole rescue station, and they were able to build this amazing team of rescuers that every day is going up and down the coast, pulling these people out of the water nursing them back to health, and then they would end up this, with this camaraderie and they would celebrate their new lease on life because these sailors should be dead and now they're alive. And so they start every day, go out and pull people from the water and then every night are just singing and dancing and cheering. Sooner or later, this rescue station is known far and wide as this place to celebrate new life and people from all over the countryside come and gather at the rescue station to sing songs and to hear inspiring stories of these sailors who find new life. And generations pass. Soon the celebrations take precedent. And over time, the team of rescuers get smaller and smaller while the celebrations get bigger and bigger. Eventually, a couple, a couple rescuers realize that it's really hard for them to do their job anymore at this place, so they pack up their stuff and they walk two miles down the shoreline and they build another rescue station. And they start going out every day. They're pulling sailors out of the water, pulling them out of the waves, nursing them back to health. And then their team is growing, and then they're celebrating the new life they have with the new sailors. Sure enough, far and wide, people start coming and gathering, and the cycle goes on. Generations and generations and generations pass, and you look up and down the shoreline, and there are all of these celebration halls all the way down the rocky shoreline. People come from far and wide to celebrate inspiring stories of new life and talk about how these sailors should have died, but they didn't. But while they're celebrating and while they're singing songs, there are still boats crashing on the rocks and nobody's pulling the sailors out from the water. You see, as followers of Jesus, we've been given a new life. We've been given a blessing. We've been given a reprieve. We, can, we understand what forgiveness is because God has saved us, right? And we're absolutely going to gather and we're absolutely going to celebrate. I want Whiting Christian Church to be known as the place that we celebrate. I want people to come from far and wide to celebrate and sing songs and share inspiring stories about the sailors who were pulled from the water. But we cannot lose our mission because there are still people crashing on the rocks that need our help. We are the salt and the light, and we cannot lose our saltiness. We cannot lose the light. By all means, celebrate. But we have to invest that blessing of new life back into the world and pull those sailors out of the water. We are blessed so that we can bless others. That's the way this works. The reality is the kingdom of God is not meant to be a, a, a sit-on-the-bench type deal. 
You're meant to participate in the kingdom. You're invited to participate. You are blessed to be able to participate in the kingdom. And by participating in the kingdom, that means understanding your blessing, recognizing your blessing, and investing it back into the world. What is God calling you towards? What is God calling you to invest? See, with me, a few years ago, I was asking this question a lot, like, what is my ultimate mission, my ultimate calling in this life? And I had a friend who walked me through some of this stuff, and it, it, he, he broke it down to, to three questions for me, and I just, I, this has always stuck with me, I love this. If you want to know where God's calling you, what, what God's calling you to do, ask yourself these three questions. The first question is, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? Look at your life, look at the world, what about this world breaks your heart? For me, what breaks my heart is people who don't understand their value. Is people who don't understand that they're loved, that they're cherished. People who don't understand that they're treasured. For me, the biggest thing that just makes me shatter inside is when I see someone who for some reason believes that they're worthless believes that they're less than, believes that they can't do anything good. That's what breaks my heart. And I found when you ask that question to yourself, what breaks your heart, that's usually God's way of convicting you. God is peeling back the curtain so you can see the way the world works and showing you what area of this world you are called to step into. So what breaks your heart? For me, it's people who don't know that they're loved. The next question was what experiences have God led you through that intersect with how God breaks your heart? Well, with me, um, I, my whole life, have dealt with issues of anxiety, uh, depression, feeling like I'm not good enough. Um, God has really led me down some paths of trying to figure out, am I fully loved? Am I value? Am I worthy of value? I've had to ask those questions of myself over time, and I've had some of that pain associated with it. Um, in fact, uh, even just a few years ago, as I was coming into ministry, um, I really stressed out for a long time about making sure that I looked, sounded, and acted like what I thought Pastor Josh should look like, that I fit, I fit the, the cookie cutter of Pastor Josh, whatever that is. And I really stressed out almost to the point of having a breakdown until one day this friend kind of pointed out to me, you're already, you're already saved. God already saved you. You don't need to be Pastor Josh. God already saved you. Be you. That's actually what this means. I got that tattoo to remind me. This is the Greek word to telestai. It means paid in full or it is finished, and it's a reminder to myself that I am already bought and paid for. I'm already redeemed. It's finished. I don't need to be better so that God saves me. God has already saved me. I'm already blessed, and it's instead my job to bless others. So those two questions so far are, what breaks your heart, and what experiences have you gone through that intersect with what breaks your heart? And then the third piece what gifts do you have? What gifts has God given you? Think about that. Me? I love to talk. I'm sure you've noticed it. <laughs> I love to talk. 
I love people. I love interacting with people. I love hearing stories. I love to talk to people. And I also love hearing their stories and telling my story and, and just interacting with and having conversations with all bunches of different people. And so when you intersect that with I love to talk to people, I love to get to know people, I want people to understand that they're loved. And that third piece of my own experience, my mission becomes really clear. The way that God calls me to invest my blessing is to make sure that everybody I know understands that they are loved. That's my mission in life. My mission, the mission statement for Joshua Nink is to allow the world to know that it is loved. My mission in life is so that you know you are loved, so that your neighbors know that they're loved, so that everybody I interact with has a chance to understand that they are loved, that they are cherished, that they are treasured. That is my mission in life. God has shown that as my blessing, my, my path, my story has uniquely equipped me to be able to speak into that world and be able to invest my blessing into others in that way to talk about how amazingly treasured you are. How is God calling you to invest your blessing? It's probably going to look a lot different than me. It's probably going to look a lot different from everybody because you are uniquely and wonderfully made. You have your own experiences. You have your own gifts. You have your own thing that breaks your heart. But you are also uniquely blessed. We have to take that blessing and invest it into the world. What breaks your heart? That's where God is calling you to act. Building the kingdom of God on earth is something that you have to participate in. You can't just watch it. Yeah, we're going to gather, we're going to celebrate, we're going to sing songs, and we're going to share stories about how sailors are pulled from the water. But at the end of the day, our reason for being here is to change the world. And I don't mean that in hyperbole or exaggeration. I mean that literally our job is to change the world. And we do that individually how God is calling you. How is God breaking your heart? What has God led you through? What gifts has God given you? And then we take that blessing and we invest it back into the people in our lives, into our neighborhoods, into our families, into our workplace, into our towns, into our state, into our world. That is how the world changes. Now, when you think of that, when you think, of how is God breaking my heart? What's God calling me to? You might be scared. I got news for you so is every single person who ever tries to understand God's calling. <laughs> All right? The good news is that God doesn't just call the equipped. Actually, he rarely calls the equipped. He actually equips the called. If he's called you to a task and you're realizing what that task is now, God will give you the tools you need to see it through. And when you invest God's resources, when you invest God's talents... You always succeed. You may not succeed in ways you thought you would, but God always uses it for good. The only way you can fail at the task of kingdom building is to bury your gift, to bury your blessing in the sand and let blessing pass you by. We are called to bless others. We are blessed so that we can bless others. Let's pray. Dear Father God, you are amazing, you are big, you are powerful, and yet you 
saved me. You pulled me from the wreckage. You pulled me from the water and you gave me new life. That's amazing. You thought I was worthy of love. So God, I want to be able to invest that blessing, that realization of who I am and who you say I am. I want to invest that back into the world and I want the rest of the world to know that I'm loved, to know that they're loved. These people listen to my voice, whether they're here in the room, whether they're online. I know you're, you're uniquely calling them. God, I pray that you rise to the surface, the thing that breaks our heart. You let us be able to look back in our life and see the path that has brought us to this moment and how you've uniquely gifted us to be able to intersect with the world. Help us to recognize that we are blessed and show us how to invest that blessing into the world to be able to build your kingdom and change the world. It's a lot of work to do, but I know you can do it. God, you're good, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.